This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome music and entertainment lawyer and founder of the alternative website, Henderson Cole. When Henderson read about bands getting screwed by Victory Records in the news, he thought he could do something about it. So he actually went to law school. In this episode, you'll learn about how Henderson got into law, where his DIY roots started, and why he founded the alternative website. This is a crash course on what things and should think about when it comes to a lawyer. I learned a ton in this episode, and I think you will too. Special thanks to the Patreon supporters. You make this podcast happen, and thank you to all those that purchased Anthology of Emo Volume 1. We're working on Volume 2, and that's because of you. This is Episode 129 of the Watched Up Emo Podcast with entertainment lawyer and founder of The Alternative, Henderson Cole. Henderson, please tell us what you do. All right. So uh, I'm a music and entertainment lawyer. So a little bit of what I do is working with artists, record labels, um, really anyone that makes anything creative to try and further their career. Um, that a, a lot of the time that means like making sure they don't make any mistakes, making sure they don't sign anything that is going to come back to haunt them in the future. But uh, also that's just like creating good opportunities for them. That's what I try and do at least with uh with entertainment law is just try and think of outside the box. Maybe I can bring something to the table rather than just like serving artists and protecting them. What things led you to be a lawyer? Like, how did you know that you wanted to do this? Oh man, that it was a long process. I, I, I'm not the typical kind of person that would become a lawyer. Even people say to me now, like they can't believe I'm a lawyer. I wasn't very good at school stuff and I don't come from a law family, but uh, I always liked music and I came out of like sort of the, like DIY, like punk emo scene. And I, that was the place where I felt like, oh, wow, I can actually interact with these artists. Uh, I saw a starting line show. They played in the, the, the mall parking lot of like a free show. I was like, this is great. Like this is a big band that I love. So I was like, okay, how can I work with these bands? I'm not good enough at playing music to do it full time. I don't really want to like go tour. I'm not like set up for that. So I found a book and there was a book called like 
everything you need to know about the music business by donald passman donald passman i've been yes. giving people that book interns or people i've met that want i've been recommending that book for 20 years there you go. This, this is about 10 years ago I, I first found it. It's called All You Need to Know About the Music Business. The art, It's Donald Passman. Yeah, and inside that book, it's really dense. There's so much stuff about all the different... But you can flip around, yeah. which is cool. It's not just like a, you need to go A, like one, th- one through 300 or whatever. You could start and just start learning about copyright. Exactly. Yeah, that's, what, that's, I think, what attracted me to it when I was like younger, too. If it was just like, you have to read through this book, I never would have gone through it, but that I could just flip to a page and be like, how does a licensing deal work? I, I didn't even know what licensing deals were. I didn't understand any publishing or royalties or any of that, but it seemed like a job that maybe I could do, and it had to do with music. And then as I went to college, I started to realize I actually have a talent for this law stuff, like drafting contracts. I can do that. Um, and, and it allowed me to work with music. So uh, I just stuck it out, went through law school. And uh, then after law school, I had worked for a few different entertainment law firms. And I just said, I, I want to do this on my own. I want to stick to that sort of DIY ethics that started me off on this path and just be able to work with the people I want to work with. So that, that was my path here. It was kind of unconventional, but so far, so good. So how long have you been independent? So about, I think, a year and a half I started my own firm officially. When so. did you realize you could do that? Like, were you sitting at work one day? And I think we might have been texting. I yeah. Think you might have been, but like, you were, I think I could do this. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I had been working for different law firms and I realized I can do this stuff now. And I, I started going on different interviews, different places, like uh, even like bigger record labels. And I just realized this doesn't seem as attractive to me as just doing this on my own and knowing that I can like, I can't, I know the artists that are good. You know, I came out of the music industry. So I was like, I know the music, I know the law stuff. I might as well just do it my own. And it, it hasn't been easy. I have to say, just starting a business, I never expected to be filing all this accounting stuff. And well, like, well, what was the hardest part? I think the hardest part for me was the school because so much like law school was brutal. And uh, I, I, I'm not the kind of person who just loves going to school. So that many years of school was tough. But the toughest part now is just the business part of it, like sending out invoices if I never have to send out an invoice again, I'll be pretty happy with that. Um, but the actual work of it, I really enjoy. You know, I, I like working on this stuff. I like being able to help artists grow and help labels grow and just anything I can do that keeps me in touch with creative people and working on creative projects, I'm into that. The invoices, not as much. So that's something for people to know that if they start their business, it's not going to be all the fun you're going to have to do the admin. Yeah, 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 exactly. Especially when you're starting out. Like I said, it's just me, so it's like, well, I'm filling out these forms. I'm filling out the tax paperwork and stuff and that takes up a lot of your time, but when you actually do some of that cool stuff or when you're just at a show enjoying it and then you're think back, okay, it was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it putting in that time. What was what's the easiest thing that you found that you didn't think that was going to be easy? I I would say the easiest thing has just been staying like motivated through all the years that I first decided I wanted to be a music lawyer all the way up to now, all the years of school and stuff, the whole way I just kept thinking, all right, I just have to get to be a music lawyer and I just have to keep working at this. And looking back, I felt like, oh, I don't know, like this seems like a lot of work. I don't know if I want to go through with this, but 
now that I'm in it and just working with music, that has never been a trouble with me staying motivated to just, okay, got to put in extra hours, got to work. And then what role did you not expect by being a lawyer? Like I, my guess would be babysitter. Yeah. A little bit of that, a little, a little bit of convincing bands sometimes that are new that it's important to care about this stuff and it's important to look over a record deal before you sign it. And to me, it seems obvious. And to people listening, maybe it seems obvious. Oh, I'm signing away five, my next five records to a record label. Maybe I should look over this, but to bands that they don't want to focus as much on the business stuff sometimes. And they just want to get back to making music. And I understand that completely, but yeah, a lot of the time it's just like, we have to sit down we have to go over this. I have to explain to you kind of what's going on here. So at least you have a good idea. And uh, yeah. What are, what are ways that you do that? Well, I think I think I try. One thing I've tried to get better at is explaining um, the contract terms in ways that people can understand. Um, well, give me an example. Okay. So, so a lot of the time, a big thing in, in label contracts is uh, recoupables and how the costs of a record are repaid, right? So if, if a band's only taking in a small percentage of the royalties and those royalties have to repay all the costs to put in the record before the band can start to see profit, right? That sounds a little complicated, but basically what it means when you look at the numbers is we're going to have to sell a lot of records before you start seeing money from streaming and record sales and everything. So when you explain that to an artist... Like the difference between a 20% royalty and a 30% royalty might not sound like that much, but when it's, yeah, we'll have to sell 10,000 less records before you see profit. Okay. Yeah. Now they get it. So when you, when you can, if you can frame things in ways that people can understand and, and draw it back to their life, because a lot of the time these royalties and like record sales stuff, that's not just for you. That goes on for years and years. It might go on to your family, to your kids, um, and way down the line. So it's important to get it right the first time. Yeah, I feel like that sense of thinking further ahead. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, we I was dumb, you're dumb. You That sometimes in your life you don't do that. But to have someone sort of say that and for them to trust you. I feel like trust is a big thing that they have to have. Yes, it's a lawyer, but the they still need to trust you when you tell them something. It's for their best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that is the reputation that, I have to fight against and other people in music and especially lawyers have to fight against because everyone assumes, and it's partially true. There are a lot of snakes in the music industry. There are a lot of lawyers who are dishonest, but you have to find the people that you do trust because their advice is important and the decisions that you're making are really important. So you have to, you have to actually believe in these people who are yeah. helping you. And then what are things I think as a, as a, as a artist or a band, what are things that they should look for in a lawyer? Like I said already, a lot of it is trust. Um, but another thing that a lot of bands are going to worry about and a lot of creative people is the cost of it. And I think it's important to just be upfront with when you're reaching out to a lawyer um, and say, like, if you have no idea what a lawyer costs or what, what it what even is the scheme or the scale of the fees? Just ask them and say, look, we don't have that much money right now. Here's a situation. Do you think you could help us? Maybe you know another lawyer who can help us. And, and sometimes you could work something out there. Um, 
Yeah, and as long as you trust the person, they're in your price range, and then you also want somebody who's actually going to be willing to answer questions. And work um, for you. Yeah, and work for you. You, you don't want somebody who's there, just there to collect the paycheck, too. It, it's much better if you find a lawyer who actually believes in you and hopefully works in music uh, frequently, if not all the time, so that they can uh, say, okay, I understand this, this scene that you're in. I understand other relevant bands that are similar to you and maybe signing similar deals. Um, and that, that all that goes into trying to find the right person who really can like help you a lot rather than just, okay, I paid a lawyer. He looked at something. I don't know. Everything's fine. Moving on. When, when does a band need to get a lawyer? Like, I mean, from my side of it, I'm a little biased, but I would say pretty early on. Right. Uh, a lot of bands when they're starting out, they think, well, my band isn't very profitable yet. I don't really need a lawyer. It's okay if I sign these deals without a lawyer because I don't really have that much money right now. I can spend it on an amp or something instead. But the problem is that if you sign a deal that applies for the next 20 years, right now you might not have money. If that deal turns out to be really important, really profitable, it's your best record. Uh, you already signed it. You didn't, you didn't have the lawyer at the beginning. There's not too much a lawyer can really do later. So I think... Whenever you're getting approached with offers, um, whenever people are putting contracts in front of you, it's always important to just at least have a manager look at it, if not a lawyer. So as soon as you start getting offers and as soon as you start making serious long-term decisions in terms of signing away rights to music for long periods of time, uh, yeah, you should probably have a lawyer at that point. Have you told bands not to do deals? Because I feel like now you don't need a label. Yes, there are points for when you need it. I still think they're important. I work for one. There, there are times where you've got a staff of people working for you, and sometimes a band can't do that, obviously. They don't have the radio staff, or they don't have the budget to do a video, or they don't have the connections. Have, have there been moments where you've said, like, pump the brakes? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, too, like if you're a musician, the goal when you're starting out, when you're a kid, is to get signed to a record label, so... Everyone wants that, you know? They want to be signed to a record label. And now it's not always needed, you know? You and could release on music on Spotify and have get on a playlist and without a label and all of a sudden you just keep making it and you build a relationship that way. You don't need one. Yeah. Well, if the label isn't helping you, then you're just giving them a percentage of your music and a percentage of your profits for nothing. So in that case, it's actually harmful, right? There's um, some bands I feel like I would meet in college and they'd be like, got to get signed. I'm like, how about you play the town over again with your friend's band and you trade shows and like kind of do that sort of circle, like build a name for yourself so then they'll come after you. Yeah. Well, and people expect labels to do things for them, which aren't necessarily possible, right? Like, oh, that happened I at to- EVR a lot. Yeah. It happened at Equal Vision a ton. Because they assume, oh, I signed to a label. Label's really cool. Now we're big, right? Like, we can do anything. And that's not always the case. A lot of that stuff that you, as a band, need to do when you're starting out, building that fan base, build it, like going on tours locally and growing that um, naturally, you still have to do even once you're signed. And uh, you It's almost like the work just starts. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost it's more. Yeah, because now the expectations are higher. And, you know, you think... I feel like the artists sometimes, the... And maybe they're not. Some of them are great about it. Some of them aren't. But I think the general sort of thing is your days get so busy where 
There's the radio interview. That's the college radio station, you know, the crappy interview. And then it's they got to stop over at the record store if there is one still. Or it's the go, you're calling in somewhere else in between on the in, in the van, the press, the, the student newspaper, all those things, though. As you do them, you might feel like overwhelmed or like I'm, this is too much, but it's only going to get more. Yeah. Well, that was one thing I talked to. Um, I talked to Kyle Thrash, who directed all the modern baseball music videos. And one thing he told me was when a band is small, that's when you have time. Because before, before your first big album comes out, you have lots of time in between. Nobody's really reaching out for interviews yet. This is when you can be planning ahead, thinking, okay, this is when we want to release stuff. These are some tours we want to go on or maybe target. These are some ideas for a video. And think big. Yeah. And then what, but once, once the big success comes, there's going to be a million things to do. And if you didn't put in that time beforehand, it can, yeah, you can start to feel like you're scrambling and they're important things too. If you stop doing press all of a sudden, it can come back to, you're not Radiohead. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you have to. Yeah. There's ways that people are going to find out about you that it's, we're just going to make music. Like, I'm sorry. That's, that can't happen, especially now with everyone can listen to anything at any time. Yeah. If you, if you just want to make music and not do any press and not promote yourself, good, you can go for it, but you're not going to be able to support yourself. Or as a teammate with a label. Yeah. Or with the other band members having that agreement, like, oh, this is what we're going to do. But as a label, you got to work. Yeah. Definitely uh, the label. The labels are, are definitely working as hard as they can these days because it, it's a, it's a hard, hard experience out there right now. Yeah. So what are, I would say you talked about sort of the, what are the, some of the things that you do, but specifically with a band, are there a few examples of things that you've done or, th- or examples of stuff that people might not have thought about that you would do? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, the most, contract stuff right yeah the most obvious is just like label deals manager deals publishing that sort of stuff right but label manager publishing that's the main three deals that people are signing usually and then there's like if somebody gets offered a license for like a sync license for a tv show or something that's great but that's less common that doesn't happen as much with smaller bands um but some of the other stuff that's important is sometimes forming an llc for your band so you can start to have business accounts for your band start to organize your finances a little better um what does an llc do tell everybody what that does okay so an LLC is a limited liability corporation. Um, but basically what it does is without adding on any extra taxes or corporate taxes or anything, it, it establishes you as a business entity. And what that's important for, most important for, is that if for any reason uh, the band or the business in general goes into debt, the they can't come after the band members for the cost. So if, if for... A, if you rack up all these expenses and something bad happens and you end up deep in the hole, you can dissolve the band and they're not going to come looking for you <laughs> to get to get all that money back. But why why I like to do it other than just for that reason is that it starts to establish the band as a serious business and you can get a business bank account and maybe you don't want to deal with business bank accounts. They're not the most fun thing in the world, but if you start to be able to write off expenses and stuff, uh, it's, it's going to make things easier for you in the long term and keep things organized. That makes total sense. 
Um, I think that you explained it very well. So we're actually testing Henderson as he has to tell these for bands. We're helping. We're helping him do this in a more concise way. So the, yeah. it's also it's a podcast, but it's a learning experience. Yeah, right. For I mean, yeah, I'm I'm learning as I go. I'm trying to like <laughs> I'm trying to think back to my law school classes. Oh man! But it is you have to. I mean, you're sometimes explaining these things like you're telling your parents. I'm not saying they're exactly. that age, yeah. but you're telling them things they've never heard before. Yeah. Well, and, how, and how do you get them to understand it? Yeah. That, like the like the publishing uh, deal and a licensing deal. Can you go over those two? Okay, because those are different. Like people might not think you can sign your publishing away, mm-hmm. and people sometimes don't understand. Yeah, you got a nice check, and now you have a nice half stack and a nice new guitar. But yeah, so a publishing deal, which is specifically to songwriters, right? So the songwriter signs the publishing deal, not the band as a whole. And basically, a publishing deal is sort of like a record label for songwriters. And they might give you an advance at the front, but in in exchange for that, whenever you have songwriting royalties, they're going to take usually half of your songwriting royalties. Um, And you do get some songwriting royalties from like the radio and streaming. Mechanicals, right? Yeah, mechanicals. um, But And also like your ASCAP, BMI, public performance royalties. Which you should sign up for really early on. Yeah. You. Every single songwriter should either be signed up for BMI or ASCAP or there's some other ones, but those are the main two. Um, And they collect royalties for you. So when you sign with a music publisher, they might give you some money up front, but they're saying, we believe in you as a songwriter. We're going to try and create opportunities for you as a songwriter, which can mean like helping guest write another song like maybe if they really believe in you you could become a ghostwriter or something um but the big share of songwriter income comes from those licensing deals and a licensing deal is basically any time that a tv show or web series or any sort of visual thing needs a song they they reach out to somebody say we really like your music we want to put it in our thing we're going to sign a deal with you some of the money goes to the band some of the money goes to the songwriter so uh Publishing companies, what they're supposed to do and what the good ones do is that they help find you these opportunities. So they might know somebody making a car commercial or a something. A music supervisor. Exactly. They might they know those music supervisors at all the different networks and they could say, We have some songs that you're interested in. Let's try and shop these songwriters around and create some income for them. And and a licensing deal right now, like you can make a ton of money from licensing, way more than you can from record sales or anything else right now because if you if you get that big placement and you're a very popular artist it can be a million dollars uh for for a license for a song um so so yeah there is a lot of money that exchanges there and and when you see these big pop artists or like rappers sign publishing deals and it says like they're getting a 10 million dollar advance like lord i know signed a, a huge one um that's a lot of money up front but remember that they're going to have to pay that back. That's a recoupable sum like we talked about before. So there is a lot of things that go into these deals. And uh, they may not be as obvious as the label deal, but they are all really important. Yeah, I think the publishing one is something that people don't think about. I did think about that forever. Yeah, that was something I didn't even know existed before I got into law school. And I was like, wait, 
there's a song, there's like songwriting companies and they're shopping songwriters because you don't hear about those as much. You hear no. about the big labels and you know what label your artist is, your favorite artist is signed to usually because you don't know you, they're on Sony ATV. Exactly. You don't know what songwriters, at which publisher, and even sometimes at a band, you might have different, different songwriters ones. at different publishers. Oh, too, totally. So. And I think too, I did a lot of licensing at EVR and it was fun, but you had to get, the other thing is the, the, if a, if a sync came in, Hey, we want the song for this. Not only does the label has half the master, but half is the band and the sync and you need to get the band's approval. So when the, I think that was a big thing to be able to try to convince bands of being like, this is important. Here's why. Plus the label needed to agree to the money. Like it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of moving parts for each of those answers. Yeah, when whenever or syncs rather. Yeah, whenever whenever they're trying to get uh, like a sync license for a song, it's just all right. How many people do we have to get to agree? And it can be eight. And people. if you make it easy, yeah, they want to work with you again. Yeah, and and they if if you can show them, look, this is a, a good way to make money, right? This is this is a big check that you could be getting right here. Then yeah, they might be willing to do it. But you also might run into one guy. Or one girl who who is in charge of like owns a small percentage of the the song and doesn't want to be involved, so and it's it can, done. It can cause a problem. So that tells me have great relationships of the band and keeping yeah. those are helpful for the longevity of the band because you might get a sync ask years from now. Yeah, and I think having your finances set up, but also the sort of the documentation of things and that LLC of having that as a band unit. This is where things are. This is how things go here of our relationships. You think it's like this sort of a, like a cult kind of like, or like a weird, like rah, rah kind of, but you need to do it because when you have the hard conversation later, it's harder. Yeah. Well, and that gets, that gets to another thing I wanted to bring up, which is like band agreements, which yes. is the, the agreement between the different band members. And a lot of times that will cover when we play a live show, how does the money get split up? When we sell an album, how does the money get split up? When we write a song, how does the songwriting get split up? And, I try and tell people have these conversations before the songs are valuable because if you don't t- if you don't talk with your band and say I write most of the music for every song I'm going to get like 75% and we'll split up the rest between you when the song becomes really valuable later yeah that's going to be a tough fight uh that's How, a that is a thick practice space exactly. going on. That's some, yeah. you, you barely and, see through it with all the tension. Exactly, <laughs> and and you do you hear it? You hear about these things too when when songs become valuable and the lead singer has all of the songwriting credits and nobody else has anything, and they're seeing him get huge checks and the rest of the band getting nothing. They're saying, "Wait, this isn't this isn't what we signed up for." I, I know uh, Paramore actually had like a dispute about their like original band agreement. So yeah a lot of these things and nobody really wants to do them because it's like a tough conversation. Right. And also it's a lot of paperwork and you're trying to, I'm having fun. I just want to play music and I get that music is fun. But if you want to take music seriously as your like livelihood right now, you need to also put in the business time and make sure that these things are getting done. So if, if, and it helps in both ways, if it goes really well, you've got the things in place, but if it doesn't go well, you've got all the things in place where the agreements are already there and it's easy to kind of split up the, yeah. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't go well, you really haven't, you nothing has really gone terribly. Right. That's my job is a lot of the times is 
make sure nothing bad happens. If something, if, if there is success, if there is good luck and the band becomes successful, you're set up to succeed. And if there, if there isn't a lot of success, well, then at least nothing bad happens, right? You can, you can go your different ways. You had the tough conversations early before people start hating each other and you hopefully can maintain friendships and everything. So, yeah, I feel like that's, that's the part of the lawyer I feel is, is like the middleman because the manager you know is sort of he's he wants them to tour he wants them to make records those are his thing and i feel like the business manager is the same way if you have a business manager but that i feel like the lawyer you kind of stay with and sometimes they're not doing things and you wonder why you're doing it why are you paying it and then there's those moments where like oh shit this is coming up and then that's when they they're there and it's almost like they're the the middle between all the people talking to them exactly yeah another thing i like to say is that uh the the manager is advising the band but they also have their own interests they want they want success right now so they can get checks or whatever the the agent wants to just oh, book yeah. as many shows as possible let's not talk about booking agents <laughs> they they're not always looking out for the best interests of the band right but the lawyer at least hopefully if they're doing a good job, they're in for the long-term success. They want to set you up to do well in the future. They want to prevent you from having problems in the future so they don't have that's, to clean up the mess. Exactly. So, so yeah. And, and they can also make sure, like, you might trust your manager, but if you, if you ask your lawyer before you sign the management deal, you can make sure, okay, everything's up. I understand. Like, I actually recently had a management agreement, and one thing that came up was – uh, does the manager get a percentage of the t-shirts sold at shows, right? And does that come up a lot? Things like that come up a lot now because like t-shirt sales and merch sales, that can be worth more money than the album sales. Um, so so, so things- traditionally it was, would, would managers ask for a cut of the record? It wasn't just... The manager usually would take a percentage of the band's overall profits, Right, but that now it's getting a little more broken up into different things, and there might be some things that are excluded, some things that are included, different percentages. But yeah, it, it can come down to things like that. And the manager and the artist, in this case, they both liked each other; they were friends. Um, but they just had a disagreement about this small term. And when it gets between lawyers, we have no stake in the game. We're, we're you not just want to figure it out. Exactly, we just want to come to a solution. So. uh we can help out in a situation like that. We can make sure that uh, no problems come later. That was actually my next question. Were there any other issues that you find or even good things that have come up from these, these agreements or contracts or things with bands? I think, I think now one good thing that's come up is that uh, with, with the changes in streaming and all of this and the different kinds of record deals that are coming out, and like you said, some artists don't even necessarily need labels where now the things that artists can ask for from labels have drastically increased, right? So you can ask for to maintain a lot, lot more percentage of your profits, but also a big thing now is that maybe the label doesn't own the rights to your music forever. They only own it for 10 years or five years even. And that's a big difference because maybe in five years, you don't know, maybe you, you want have control of your music back or you, you want to just like, work maybe you can shop it to like a like a catalog label or something right as if you can get the control of your own music back sooner which never would have happened in the past never would have happened yeah now 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 you can maybe do that so there there are big changes that are coming that are mostly positive but 
No, I think you're right. I didn't think about that one. You're right. There are different terms now on... I mean, originally it was the master was owned by the label forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, And then they, they made a change now that actually, even if you licensed your music forever, after 35 years... there's Oh, a, yes. You have to redo it. There's a special... Yeah. There's a way that Tell you can about it. get out of it. Uh, I, I forget the technical term for it, but basically what it means is that, yeah, after 35 years, you have about a three-year period where you can pull back the rights in your music at no cost. So what's happening now is if you count back 35 years, we're getting like to the 80s. Artists from the 80s who signed away their music at that point, it was for eternity, are able to get their music back. And they might say, well, I don't really want my music back, whatever. But you can get your music back and then you can even license it back to the same label. But maybe this time at better terms. Or, or maybe you get a new advance. Maybe you need an advance right now. It's 35 years later. You want to buy like a car or something. And that song is still yeah, streaming the song, or yeah. the song is still doing really well. Well, well yeah. And, and with streaming now, it doesn't really matter how old the song is. Um, I'm sure you experienced that in your work day where it's like, did this song come out three years ago or 30 years ago? It doesn't really matter. If it's in uh, the right context and it hits yeah. a certain way, like a fan's going to yeah. listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Playlist. So, yeah, I think that's an important point. To You're respecting your music in that you're using it for longer term. Like, this is not just this next tour for two years. Like, this song will live on. Exactly. And the things you're doing around it to let it live that your grandkids can hopefully... And yeah. think like that. Yeah. I don't, I, I, we are both, I'm a DIY. You're, you've mentioned it a bunch of times. I am all about that. I'm not about like, this is, you know, the, uh, I'm out here to make money and leave everybody in their trenches or leave everybody in their dust. You can make money and be successful and doing it the right way. And these are the ways to do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is one thing I want to say. I'm not like cutthroat capitalism wearing a suit all the time just because I'm a lawyer. Um, I, I do believe in the real meaning of the music and why you're creating the music, but I just like to say, yeah, we, we, we can do that and we can stick true to the, the meaning of the art. Um, but also pay attention to what the long-term value of what you're creating is. I feel like that's the thing that doesn't get thought about as much. Mm -hmm. It's too short. Yeah. Because you think I put out an album for like a year, it's popular or whatever. And then onto the next album. But the 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 royalty streams from that album are going to be coming to you the ro- the the copyright on a music last until after you're dead. So you're even What's your, the years on that? I Is think it, it, I think it's your life plus 35 years. I would have to check that, but yeah, it's it's over over the length of your life into your children's lives. So even if you don't have any children, it might go to to your spouse or your family or your brother or whatever doesn't matter it's that's important stuff that you created right if you created anything else that was really valuable would you want to respect yeah, it and would, have it keep exactly you'd want to be able to give it on to the next generation um so yeah that's why it is important and when when we got back to like when is it time for a band to contact a lawyer your first album a lot of times with bands, your first album, they weren't big when they l- released it. Now it's the most popular album, right? Like uh, Arctic Monkeys have a new album coming out. Their first record, when they released that, they probably didn't think it was going to be this like next next yeah, level exactly. thing and, or the Strokes or whatever. And now now it's super valuable. And whatever deal they signed at the time, they're locked into. Yeah. So. And you'd hope. I mean, a lot of those 
I mean, there was always jokes about Victory Records and those seven record deals or whatever it was. I don't yeah. remember if it was five or seven. Th- or- those Victory Record deals I heard about when I was learning about music law, and that was one of the things that inspired me to really? get, in, get into this. Because, How did you hear about it? Um, well, I think a day to remember was the big one who had a c- controversy with them. But also set your goals later. Did and there's I'm been sure, a lot. I'm there's sure been there's a lot of people. everyone listening is r- mouthing another band. Yeah, they they all have their own choices. <laughs> but those were those were the bands that I listened to like ten years ago at the time, and I was hearing these things like that they weren't making any money, and I thought it was so ridiculous. I was like, doesn't anybody understand the business side of this? And I realized that not a lot of people do. So that's that's when I started to think. All right, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can actually help these bands that I that I enjoy, so that they're not in this situation. Why did the DIY ethos and ethics sort of hit you so hard? I don't I don't know why exactly. I was always like a fan of music, but I never had really encountered punk music. Um, I'm from New Jersey, so there is a tradition of that. Like the Bouncing Souls, I would always go see the Bouncing Souls, and they sort of have that ethos. Um, but but I also strangely enough. I was really into like skate culture when I was like 16. Like That's skate- not weird. Skateboarding. And I think 90% of the people that I talked to, maybe 80, they mentioned punk and they mentioned Thrasher Mag. They mentioned skating exactly. because yeah. the, it, those were kind of Yeah, at the time that was like the internet was like not really that big. Yeah, it was like slow and terrible. But if you could, if you could listen to some, watch some skate tapes and there was some cool music on there. And then once I found out like, these are just skateboarders filming this stuff. I can film stuff too. Start like filming terrible skate tapes of the local skaters, right? You were figuring it out. Yeah, and and once you start to create something in DIY and even if it's terrible and you're just like a teenager, you're like, "Wait, I'm I'm kind of part of this. I feel like I'm part of this. Uh I I want to I want to participate more. At least I always wanted to and just start like helping these people keep growing. Like, let's see how big we can make it, you know. I never I never dreamed that uh, that all of this stuff that I did and like when I, I started the site, The Alternative and started writing about bands on the internet, I never dreamed that like more and more people would keep keep coming there but it's really been great and I just, I never really lost that like that wish to just, let's see if we could create something on our own. Let's see if we can like work around the the business structure and like learn the rules so we can exist inside the rules um, not always to just play by the rules, but if we know what's going on and we know how to do it, we can sort of make our own art. And that's, that's kind of what I always liked about it. That's a really good way of answering it. I, what, what about the difference if someone says, you know, I'm just here to make money, you know, I'm, I, I know that this is hot and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it until the legs fall off. The wheels th- fall off. I think, I think when I started working with people in music, that was a bigger thing. Right now, there, there's so little money left that a lot of those people have sort of like... Really? You haven't DJed recently? Well, yeah, true, true. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like now there are, there are still some, right? And like pop artists, I'm sure they're riding the trends and just trying to get a paycheck. I but, meant in DIY and punk. Oh, well, in, Di- in DIY and punk, there are some people still who are like trying to just... I don't know, get really popular really fast. And like, maybe they want the money or maybe they just want the fame Um, or the attention. Yeah. The intention in general. Um, And, and I think that's also why you see a lot of people misbehaving in music because they're in it for the wrong reasons. Um, But when, when you're trying to create art 
and the reason you're trying to create it is for sales or anything, I think the product is going to suffer even if you're really talented, even if you're a great songwriter. If you're not writing songs for the right reason, if you're just writing it for sales, I think it's inevitable that the, the art is going to suffer. And uh, I, think, I think you see that sometimes when a band's first album is really good and now they're trying to go even bigger with it and they sort of lose track of what they were trying to make. And uh, next thing you know, you have something that sounds bland and they lost what uh, actually made them interesting. I think when a band gets to that point and they're, you know, this is what we're going to do and they, they feel this way in their head, I still feel like they think they're doing it. But when I listen to it, I just, I can tell. Or I just know if I go see them or there's – it's just something. And I don't know why I have such a complex. Maybe I need to go see a therapist. <laughs> but I just have such a complex where I'm totally fine with someone making money. That's People are making money all the time. I have a job. I get that. But the when it's this punk and like DIY of like I want a kid that's going to his first show to see – what you need to see or see things that will help cultivate that same feeling, not here's how I get a bunch of followers, here's how I get like, and it's superficial sometimes. Like, yeah. you think I've got all these followers, and it, that doesn't mean anything. Like, you, I don't care. Like, I know that if I say something about a band, like, there's a bunch of people that'll be stoked. You and I'll share it, we'll share it with you know, Emmy Doomin or like, yeah. we'll like kind of have that and we're all excited and they might get big yeah. and we were a part of it and we'll, it's not like I'm waiting for the paycheck. Yeah, exactly. That's people do ask me all the time, like with the alternative, did I writing, explain it right? Yeah. Well, just like writing about bands and it's like, were you going to see any success from this? No, I just, I just believe in it and I want it to grow and I want it to, I think, I think also when you're talking about this stuff, it's, what what makes punk and DIY and indie rock and all these genres, even like rap music that's sort of outside of the mainstream, what makes it so interesting is that personal connection and that like... They're trying it, something else. Yeah, and, and the integrity of it too, that if if somebody wanted to make the most popular song ever, they're not going to make an emo song probably, right? That wouldn't be their first choice. But the reason they're making that is because they think that's authentic to to the message and the emotion that they're trying to put out. And when you see that in artists and you see that it's authentic and you go to the shows and they're the real thing, uh, there's just something real about that. And like I said about starting out and getting involved in this, that's what drew me to it. Oh, wow. These are real people. They're creating things that are like a little fringy. Maybe, maybe they're not rich, but they're creating things that are really important to people. And uh, I think that's the most important stuff. That's that is like what makes, like what makes punk rock and 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 all these genres different. And that's what makes it special too. Or else, what are we really doing here? Yeah, I I think I I just I want to go a little bit more on that because the you know your site you know it's you guys are covering whatever you want. Yeah, and I think that comes through. It's not you're knowing that you're not waiting for the press release from the one label that or the it's it there could be an email that comes through and they send a band and you guys could go all over it or a writer writes you and says that you have on staff and be like i found this band they're from this thing can we and yeah. that's the the uh, the hope that it's not just this sort of force-fed like everything's from a press release yeah well 
that is exactly what I tried to do when I created the alternative. It started as my college radio show. And then as I finished, where'd you that, go to college again? Uh, University of Delaware, blue hens. Oh, wow. Uh, Delaware. So, yeah. Sorry. I just watching Wayne's world. I know Delaware forever. It's a strange place. I'm not from Delaware. Literally so. I would go to drive through school. And I, I mean, if, if, if a long song was on, <laughs> you, you were already it. through it. Yeah, it's a, it's a tiny place. No sales tax. So, I mean, they're happy with it. We did stop for we would get stuff. Yeah. yeah. So so when I when I created the alternative, then I made a website after that, and I was writing about it myself. But as I brought more people into it, I thought, okay, the idea of the alternative is that it's the alternative to other music press that I thought was just covering whatever was the most popular. So the idea was. How do we make it so that we aren't just trying to cover whatever is the most popular? How do I keep true to what the people believe in? And the ethos of the whole of the alternative so far has been that me and the other editors, we don't assign anything. The writers come to us with the ideas, the bands that they find and things that they actually believe in. And they say, I really like this. Can I write about it? And as long as it fits sort of with the site, yeah. Let's write about it. Let's write about the stuff that you actually want to write about. If we don't have a review of, I don't know, whatever's the biggest thing. Uh, the the new, Wonder Years. If we don't, yeah. If we don't have a review of the new Wonder Years album, there's going to be plenty of reviews of the new Wonder Years album. But if you find a band that nobody has really heard yet, or you just like them, they're from your local area or they're not, whatever. Maybe you don't even know where they're from. If you just want to write about them, people are going to go to that. They're going to see something... I've never heard of this band before. And in this day and age, I still feel with all this access, we have every how many devices do we have in front of us and how we can listen to everything. You still want somebody to help you sort of navigate. You know, everyone goes into Amoeba Records and feels overwhelmed. Yeah, I do. And I know exactly what I want. I want Jimmy World B-Sides <laughs> and I want all this stuff. But I still you get overwhelmed. So to yeah. have someone say, hey, check this out. It sounds like this. I think you'd really cool. And I think it's that inner like want to hear something new. Yeah. To hear something new and also to feel like there's a person behind this recommendation. Uh, if somebody writes about something for our site, you know that the writer enjoys the music and they believe in it. And if you have read other things that the writer has written about other bands and you like those, maybe you're going to like this one, right? If you just go on like a playlist, like an algorithmic playlist or something, there's no person behind it. Maybe you'll find something you like because it's exposing you to new music still. That's better than nothing. But it's not like, oh, wow, I really feel a connection to this. It's just Yeah, I feel like the connection part is yeah. missing from that. Like I was just telling someone the, I, uh, on road trips because I worked at the radio station in college. I had all the new music. So on road trips, people wanted to ride with me because I had everything. So I would make a mix of all the new music and people would, you know, get into it. And I think that was kind of a cool moment where you're getting, you're learning how to turn people on to music. Yeah. I think that was a big thing for me as well, especially starting out before I had a website, before I had any connection to the music industry at all, I could make a CD of like whatever, a bunch of different songs that I found and just like give them to my friends and say, check this stuff out. Like this is, this, these are the songs that I think you might like. And when you someone comes back to you and says, oh, that song that you sent me, I love it. I've been looking into the band. I'm going to go see them play live. I realize like, wow, that feels great. You know, that feel, I feel like I actually 
exposed some like created some joy in their life right yeah and, and that's that's not going to be everybody some people yeah. just want to be hit over the head they want the same song 10 times in a row i don't jive with those people i think people listening that's not their role that's not their their thing but it's fun i mean i'm sure you've dj'd before like playing a record the best thing is you play a record you see someone walk up and you play the next song and they look at you and go i was about to request that and turn back around that's when like you've you've got you've got people sort of in that mode where you can then play something new you've sort of yeah. got their trust and then you throw in we were just talking about world's greatest dad what if i threw that in after dashboard or something like yeah. you've kind of in the radio show you probably did the same thing that's how you hook them with a the hit and then you give them something else exactly exactly and yeah anything we do now even like the alternatives like twitter account or whatever we will we'll recommend music that we know people like then we'll recommend some stuff that you definitely haven't heard yet Maybe you don't like it at all, but maybe you love it, you know, but at least now you're willing to listen to it. When things like grow out of their normal niche that they were in, like emo music will always have a dedicated audience of the people that are really into it. But when it grows to become on the edge of the mainstream a little more and starts to attract people outside of that group, some of those people are going to find it and love it and stick with it forever. But not everybody. But not everybody. Some of the people are just there for a little bit. Maybe they like it. But maybe they're not as invested in finding music. So when that dips out of the mainstream a little bit. They're, they've moved on. Yeah, they've moved on. And also, they're not really looking. So they're not getting exposed right. to that anymore. Um, but it does. It hurts some of the bands. And that's the hard thing to see a lot of the time where that uh, You Blew It interview that they did where they were saying that towards the end. Now they're playing a few more shows. But towards the end of their I run, gave Tanner shit. Yeah, <laughs> he, they're back after like four I love, months. I'm happy. But I'm happy. Yeah, it's good, but still, come on. <laughs> but yeah, when when they said, well, well, towards the end of our run, we were seeing like half the size crowds, and it's not because you blew it is worse. It's just because now emo music isn't as big as it was, and yeah, that does kind of sting a little bit. And I, I have to say, also, the genre really hasn't helped itself with like the stuff coming out about brand new and other bands where it sort of paints the whole time period of the past in a negative light. I mean, that time period again, again, that's when it was like at this apex Yeah, where I can do anything. I'm on, I'm invincible. Yeah. And, and it was on the radio, like dashboard was on the radio all the time, you know? And now, I mean, dashboard might still be on the radio, but today's dashboard, the bands coming up that would are, are maybe just as good. You can write the best music and you can work so hard and you can do everything right. And if you have bad luck and bad timing, it's not going to work out. You can't always predict in music Something, what is going to take There could off. be a band tomorrow that comes out that everyone loses their minds on and it like changes the it changes things on a dime. That yeah. could happen. Yeah, it could. And and I think there are bands like that that are are milling around and working on stuff. Like for instance, ska music has been down for a long time. But there are bands that are incorporating some of those brass sounds from Scott and combining with emo music. There's a band just friends right now that are working on records that are combining those sounds. And yeah, there are genre fusions. I mean, even, even if you look at like Lil peep emo rap, that was supposed to be this thing. I'm not really sure it was emo rap as much as just a different kind of rap, but, uh, that's still existing. The ex member of tiger's jaw makes music ex member of balance and composure 
they're together in a band called Coward that makes emo rap. So there are these things that are milling around. And emo rap is not a thing. Yeah, so. emo <laughs> as a genre. I think it's more of like a goth rap, but I think emo. See, when when the term when the term is applied to emo rock, it's negative. But with emo raps now, it's for popular. some reason it's popular. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that is frustrating because if you're a fan for a long time, like we have been, you want to see this stuff do well, and you want it to sort of escape all of these like negative connotations that have come with it. Do you think it'll ever happen? I I'm, hope so. I, I'm going with no. I don't think it'll, <laughs> I, I don't think it'll ever fully escape it because it's kind of stuck with a, a tough emo, like a tough genre and tag. And, it, and it's 10 years after 08. So that was like the heyday. I mean, I started the site in 07 cause I was so angry. Yeah. So 08, it's like, we're right, we're right in the middle of it. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be for a while, but you never know because every once in a while an artist will just break into the mainstream and then all of a sudden it's cool again and then it's doing huge numbers and once it's doing huge numbers all those people who are skeptical about it before are now covering it yeah like pitchfork hated emo music now they like emo music it's going to happen as things get more popular people started to come on board um but will we ever see it fully lose all of that stuff, Probably I don't not. know. Probably not. Not as long as there's people our age who like remember when things were bad because they'll always make fun of that. Uh, I was going to ask you about the site. One more thing. Uh, site, you guys do premieres. You guys do features. I can't stand premieres. Um, I think if a band writes it and it's a good song, I will post about it. I do them so rarely. How do you feel about this sort of i mean it's a, not just emo or punk and indie it's everything yeah it, well it's become now in case you haven't been paying attention maybe you're lucky and you don't work in this and you don't have to pay attention to it you could just find the music when it comes out but how it's been working these days is uh when a band releases a new song they'll agree with a website a blog usually uh to post the song for the first time available only there and it's premiering there and they direct their traffic there and in exchange the site will write about them and write about the new song um and there are a lot of like it gets into a lot of different troubling stuff when that becomes the standard where people are paying a lot of money for top pr agencies just so that the pr agency can email two blogs and it's like what is that really how we're going to spend our time and money um I do do premieres. They do bring attention to the site. And when I can help an artist out to post their first new song or, or like the first single of the album, I'm so excited about it and we, we like it. We'll premiere it. But they are the most stressful part of my life, I think. I, I'm sure running a site, you can agree. All the editors at the site and I talk to other sites. They're like, why do we do this? It's so much work for us because Best case scenario, you're getting the song a week ahead of time. You have time to write about it. Worst case scenario, the band's emailing you two days before with the link, and you have to quickly listen to a song and think about, uh, what, what, what can I write about this? It's pretty good. I can't just write it's pretty good. Uh, and then i got to post it at a certain time, and it can, it can really become a mess. But for now, we do them. Uh, a lot of labels are trying to move away from them. But really what has locked everyone into this culture is that if you offer a site a premiere, they know it'll get a lot of clicks. So they're more willing to write about it. But if you offer a site and say, we're not premiering it anywhere, but we're putting out a new single, 
write about it, please. Uh, they know that it's going to be available a lot of different places and they won't get as many clicks. And to sites that are obsessed with clicks, we don't really care because we don't make any money from our site. So either we like it or we don't. But if your site is funded on these clicks and ad revenue and whatever, yeah, you have to find the things that are going to get you the most clicks. If you do great, but I'd rather direct toward the band. Yeah. And the other thing, I think the industry thinks about it too much. I asked once in a meeting, this is not at this label, another label. I go, how many people went to a music premiere this morning? It was maybe noon when the meeting was. One person in the meeting. It was like 30 people. So I think we're the only ones kind of like fussing yeah. around in the morning trying to like, oh, it premiered on this and this. Someone's got a baby and like uh, they're driving their kids to school and like, are they really? Yeah. Are they really? For the first 12 hours the song is out, like maybe if it's your favorite band ever, you're like, oh my God, I yes. have to listen to it right now. But otherwise you're like, of I'll just coming wait till to it's my, on Spotify. I, I'll just wait till it's on YouTube. The relationship part, and I think it goes back to too about having the relationship within the band, having those great relationships, not fucking people over, like being cool when you're an opening band and like yeah. not stealing the catering or whatever those dumb things you think about when you're at the top of the world. You make those friends and then later on they're going to help you. Yeah. Well, that that's something that has been so crucial. I'm not saying every band doesn't do that, but I feel yeah. like it gets forgotten that yeah. the community part yeah well and it's been sort of defeated a little bit by like the internet culture that we live in because your hometown scene used to be everything like the bands from new jersey you'd see all the bands from new jersey even if you didn't like them you were there because you were gonna hang yeah you wanted to see your friends at the show and maybe by an accident you'll see an opening band that you like and then you'll follow them a little more or something Or, or like a band will tour through when they're a bigger band and they'll play with a smaller band and maybe when that smaller band's bigger, they'll they'll help out their friends who help them out, right? But nowadays, the hometown scene thing has sort of dissipated a lot. And a lot of people's scene is the internet. Like, where they find music and talk about music is the internet, not at, like, going to shows they never they don't know any of the bands. And some of these bands, when they get big now, instead of being able to help out the lower bands, now they have a booking agent whispering in their ear or a record label whispering in their ear, you don't need to help out these guys. We, we're going to help you with this other thing, you know? And it's like... I think there's a balance. Yeah. You can do that. You know, I need to do this because it's a radio tour and this needs to happen for this. But that next tour, maybe go take out that yeah. band you actually really wanted to and it, maybe that band becomes bigger than you. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they become bigger and, and maybe they help you out in something not even associated and with And it doesn't music. matter if they do or not. You don't, and not expecting it either. Yeah. You're doing it because it's the right thing and I know that's hard when it be, involves money yeah. and there's situations where you and I are probably in where we have to fight that struggle but it's deep to yeah. think that way to be like, that's the right way to do it because it, it hopefully will come back around. Yeah. Well, yeah. You have to keep that in mind because there are going to be situations where you do have to do things for the money, where you get offered a tour and you can't pass it up. But when you maybe can pass it up, if you have that in your mind, I've been trying to help this band out for a while. I should tour with them this time or maybe even put them on one date or something. There are little ways that you can help people out that build the whole scene and keep people connected. And it doesn't need to be as competitive as it is. I think with the lack of like big money in music, a lot of people are like scrambling to survive and to keep doing music as, as much of full time as they can. So they start to get a little more cutthroat 
And uh, I think people need to resist that if they, as much as possible. I mean, we live, we live in a society. We don't get to pick all the rules, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, it is, it is important. And I wish that that happened more often. Yeah. What do you want for the, what do you want for the alternative? What do you want? Like as a, like, do you want it to do anything else? Are you fine with the way it is? Is there something you've wanted to do? I always am trying to make it bigger. I, I don't know why, I guess just cause I, I want to be as good at it as I can, you know? Um, I, I want to keep it how it is in terms of supporting just the music we love and not getting too wrapped up in the financials. Um, but the bigger our audience is, the more people come to see these things when, like when I post about a band, the more people that can see it, the better. And a, a thing that I've been working on, it's still a work in progress, honestly, is that when I started the site, it was me and my friends, and it was all guys. You know, it was like four guys running the site. And now I'm trying to get a lot more women involved, non-binary writers, and try and diversify our writers. And I've found that as you diversify the writers, common sense, you're going to bring in a lot more diversity of music. And I think the more diverse that I can help that our site grow and help the whole scene grow and just doing a little part in that, I mean, I can only do so much, but the, the little that I can do with that I think it really makes a difference. And I think that it's really important just because, I mean, I'm, I'm a guy. So when I was going to shows growing up, there were always tons of guy rock stars, you know, but I want in the future for there to be more different, like representation of, of different bands so that fans coming up, we got more diverse fans in the future. And like we talked about with that band world's greatest dad, Harmony Woods, uh, even snail mail, these young female people are, are making great music and it just shows if you put in the effort to really promote diversity in the scene, you're going to get a better product because you're going to get more people coming from different backgrounds and reach out to people that you would never come in contact because they got a Joyce Manor shirt. Yeah. I would go up to you if I saw you. There you go. Yeah. And that's, that's the important thing that music can do is it can bring different groups of people together and, Going to shows, yeah. You'd see people with like mohawks. You'd see like little wimpy kids. You'd see like big jack dudes. All at the same show. Yeah. And for the same band. Exactly. Yeah. And and I remember I, I used to see Hit the Lights growing up when I was a teenager a lot. Yeah, right? Of course. Uh, <laughs> and they would always say, we have all these fans that are like little emo kids. And then we have these fans that are here to mosh pit. And we don't really understand why. But it brings all these groups of people together. And I think that as the scene gets more diverse and as the artists get more diverse, we're bringing more different groups of people together and hopefully all with sort of a positive outlook and a progressive look on life. And when you bring different groups of people together, you can build a coalition in the political term, you know, you're building a group here and sort of enforce values on a society and sort of spread good values. And yeah, that's a huge mission for the alternative, but why am I doing this? Right. I'm doing it to promote music. I'm also doing it to hopefully change the world for the better, right? I didn't just, I like music, but it's not the most important thing in the world. If it can be sort of my like method to, to help, to help others and also to make a career in something I think that is meaningful, then that's my end goal really. <laughs>